How does the concept of the naughty and nice list relate to the Christmas story? Is it something where we in the church, we should throw it out? It's just a secular fabrication. What is our response to this? Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And again, this is produced by Clergy in the Church of Nazarene, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And today, we're going to be having a proposal about the naughty and nice list and see how we really should respond to this as a church. So let's get right into it. The concept of the naughty list is not something that was actually part of the real St. Nicholas's life. And if you want to go back, we did a video about some interesting facts about St. Nicholas. He's a really interesting character from church history, and he did some really cool things. He's a great person to take inspiration from. But the idea of the naughty and nice list and a lot of the other things which we associate with the idea of Santa Claus, they're not necessarily rooted in actual historical events. And oftentimes when Christians or even people who are just examining Christianity and Christmas, they look at the naughty list and they say, well, this is just a secular fabrication that's been placed in Christmas. However, I want to propose to you the following. While the concept of the naughty and nice list was not a historical reality in terms of what actually happened in the Christmas story when Jesus Christ is born or in the actual life of St. Nicholas, it is something which is rooted in the Christian worldview. Moreover, it is rooted in the Christian logic that believers should be convicted by the Holy Spirit to turn away from sin and to live in the manner that Christ lived. So how we're going to do this program today is I'm going to present this idea, and I'm going to flesh it out a little bit, and then I'm going to have Pastor Amanda respond. And again, I want you to, all there out there in the audience, if you have your thoughts you would like to respond to this, please send them to us. So let's get to it. People have historically come to this idea of the naughty and nice list and said, well, it's not actually part of, of Christmas, but it is something we talk a lot about. But here's the thing. We need something telling us what is good and what is evil. It's just something which is necessary. If we are to actually have an examination of ourselves, we should be being self-aware, thinking about whether or not we're being good or we're being evil. When we look throughout the history of Christianity, one of the things which really is unique is that there is something telling us that there is a universal morality. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're at home alone, whether you're out in public, you should be behaving in a way that truly is righteous. And this is something which is truly unique. If you go back to the time when Jesus was actually born in the Roman world, where there's pagan belief systems telling people how to behave, you did not have a universal moral code to live by. There was a variety of gods out there in the world, and there was a variety of areas that these gods really were. They, they didn't have universal influence. You didn't care if you pleased Poseidon if you weren't doing anything related to the sea. You didn't care if you pleased someone else's household gods if you had nothing to do with that household. You only cared about pleasing the gods who were in your immediate circumstance. So if you personally did not please some god way over there, it really didn't matter. Even this concept of the Pax Deorum, where throughout the entire civilization of Rome, there was this understanding that all the gods needed to be pleased if Rome was to succeed. They didn't want every individual to be working their lives to please all the gods. They just said somebody's got to do it. It doesn't matter if one person over here pleases Poseidon and this one over here pleases Zeus. Just as long as each of the gods is pleased, there was no personal responsibility for you to be a righteous person. So this idea that there is some universal conviction, this is an idea which is unique to Christianity. And I'm just going to let Amanda respond to that as we begin this conversation. Well, and, and I think to kind of start off the conversation as we go into like the naughty and nice list, I think at, at first first hearing about it, there's a lot of people, um, myself included, kind of a negative reaction to the naughty and nice list because we've seen it only used as a way of, of to manipulate children 
or others into a good behavior. And this is not at all the, the premise by which we're starting it. But again, to illustrate what Pastor Dylan is, or to continue what Pastor Dylan is talking about, it is to look at our life and say that there needs to be something by which we measure the world around us. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts when we've talked about the idea of judgment. And that really judgment's not a bad thing. However, again, to start off this conversation, it's not a way to manipulate or control people. But if we start with this idea of a universal morality, and again, being unique to Christianity, therefore it is unique to Yahweh, to a God that kind of gives this wisdom and sets these rules and then calls people to come and to participate in. All right, moving on. Um, The next thing I want to point out is this. A lot of people in our world that say, oh, well, if we can just be free and liberated from the barriers of religion, the barriers of God, we will be so free. This is one of the language pieces that was used by that atheist pastor who's really more anti-theist than just atheist up in Canada. She was saying, you know, we can be removed from that or we can be freed from that great cloud, that great burden above us. But here's the thing. We actually need rules telling us good and evil. If we are to actually go out and interact with the world, we need something to help us navigate the world. And there's a really great illustration that, and I can't remember where I first heard it, but having rules that are associated with faith, they're like wearing clothes. Yes, they do constrain you a little bit, but they actually allow you to go further out into the world. And I want us to read now from Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And this is a story with Adam and Eve, and they ate of the fruit. When Just to be a little bit specific here, they don't just eat of any fruit, and it's not the knowledge, or it's not, excuse me, it's not the tree of life that they eat from, it's the knowledge of good and evil. That's the fruit that they eat, is something which gives them awareness of good and of evil. And as they eat this, they realize that they are naked, and they, they feel shame, and they go and they put on clothes. But one of the reasons I want to really emphasize this idea of good and evil is once they are aware of this, they realize they're no longer going to be in the garden. They're ashamed of what they've done. There is an element of shame, but there's also an amount of shame which they realize they're not prepared to deal with the world outside of the garden. If they go outside of the garden, there's thorns, there's all sorts of things to, there's plants that'll cause you to break out in rashes, there's cold weather, there's harsh weather, there's all sorts of elements out there, and you will not live very long if you were just out um, bare naked going everywhere. You actually need to have some clothes on to protect you. That's really how the rules and the of good and evil are within Christianity. They, they help protect you. So let me read this for, for us, and then I'll let Amanda respond to this, this scripture. Genesis 3-7 reads as follows. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You take and you look at this, and you can say he's afraid of God. I think that's unmistakably true. But I think he's also afraid of the consequences which are coming. He realizes he's, he's got to leave, and this is both true for not just Adam, but also Eve. They realize they're not prepared to go out in this world where there is good and evil. Now that they're aware of good and evil, they have shame because they realize how ill-equipped they are to actually deal with it. Amanda. Well, and I think, um, you know, in preparing for this lesson we were talking about, sometimes people think, well, we can just naturally come up with this um, idea. And I think I might be moving into your third point a little bit. But um, and it doesn't happen because we see that um, naturally people left to their own devices often 
do things that are, are bad. And you talked about, well, if you just kind of pick a sin, you can see that it, it actually is detrimental to, to the species, detrimental to uh, procreation, that it is helpful. And I just kind of sat there for a minute, and then it dawned on me, like, of course it is. That's why it's a sin. Uh, God did not create <laughs> rules. To, God did not put the, the tree in the middle of the garden just for, you know, grins and giggles. They were there because when God says don't do something or go do something, it is because it's for the betterment of our, our species. Sin is, uh, oftentimes we make it overly spiritual, and I'm not saying it's not spiritual, but sometimes we over-spiritualize things and we forget that God is a practical God. Um, basically, when he told Adam and Eve, trust me for life, it was because God is the only source of life and you cannot produce it on your own. And when you try to produce it on your own, you end up where Adam and Eve are and you have to then begin to wear clothes, to garden, to till the land. Um, to be in pain to give birth because you've trusted in yourself and ultimately you'll find that in of your own power you're going to fail to produce life and and so yeah and that's why again these rules are set not to confine us not to restrict us not to keep us from having fun but as christ said i have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest to have it abundantly and more than just abundantly but overflowing um and that can only happen if there's righteousness and that only happens in connection with a righteous god and it been off, you were talking about tilling the land. So when I was younger, um, I grew up, my family did a lot of farming. And even when I was going through through college and, and helping to pay for my, my first years in college, I, I did a lot of that through farming. We had a cattle farm and we did a lot of stuff with that. One of the things which a lot of people who aren't familiar with farming are surprised by is you will find that a lot of farmers wear long sleeve shirts. And they wear thick long sleeve shirts and they do this all year round. There'd be a lot of people who would come over. I remember we would have friends and others that would come over that weren't really used to farming life when they were kids. And, of course, when I was a kid, too. And they would go out and they'd be like, well, why are you wearing all those clothes? Going out to, to till the land, going out to do something like whether something as simple as working hay or even something which takes a lot of work like doing tobacco. When you're out there, there are a lot of things that will just... Well, 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 we'll say it will make your body quite miserable if you are not protected from the elements. That sun beating down on you around all that golden hay will blister you in ways that you didn't even think was possible. And yeah, I get it. I have really light skin and we don't ever tan. Anyone in my family, you just get burned and you turn into a lobster and then you turn back white again after a few days. Um, growing up, you learned quickly, you are far better off with many, many layers on during the, the heat of the summer than you are out there with your little peachy white skin, getting a nice little kiss from the sun. It's just going to make your, your life miserable. And yeah, you get hot and sweaty with all those clothes on, but you're, you're better off from that. And I think that's there's a revelation that Adam and Eve really have is that, to your point, Amanda, they suddenly realize that they are not capable of creating life the way that they thought they were. Mm-hmm. And, and after you get into a harsh situation like that, you kind of have this eye-opening experience where you, you get into a crisis moment. And for Adam and Eve, I think, when they realized what good and evil was, they become aware of this. I think that was a real crisis moment for them because the first thing they do is they feel ashamed. And I don't think it's just sort of a shame because of modesty. I think it's really a deep-rooted shame that says we have no practical ability to deal with good and evil. We thought that we were of such statue that we could decide for ourselves what good and evil is. And after we become aware of it, we realize we are really ill-equipped for this. I don't know. Do you think that's a weird take on that, Amanda? No, I think that's exactly it. I think it's like the quickest example of buyer's remorse. I mean, just almost immediately they realized just how not prepared, how unpowerful they were. And that really is the temptation of, of 
the, the tree, the knowledge of the good and evil. It's not so much they ate a fruit um, or even that the snake um, tempted them, but the, the great tragedy of the story is they really thought they could do it. They, they could protect themselves. And like I said, almost immediately they realized we don't have clothes to protect us from the elements. We have no idea how to work the ground because they never had to, right? Um, we have no idea now how to even relate to God, somebody that they walked with every evening. Um, everything they once knew just completely crashes um, in an instant. And, and they realize, again, just how dependent they were on God before that. Anthony? I think that's a big reason why they hide, too, because, like, especially throughout the Old Testament, there's this big theme of whenever God shows up, things are about to be the way that they're supposed to be. And so, like, you know, if God shows up and you're wicked, then you're going to be punished. If God shows up and you're righteous, then you're going to be blessed. And Adam and Eve realize that they're vulnerable in the world. And so whenever God shows up, they think that, you know, um, that that's about to be exposed and that they're about to be put into their place in the universe which they were. They were taken out of the garden and they were put into their place, which is to work the land and basically to um, to to work a lot. So I think that that's um, a really interesting take on thinking about how the, or why they hid. And I think to pull, pull us back to kind of point number one where Pastor Dylan was talking about gods that that day only had certain jurisdiction is that our God is not a God that stays in one place. He didn't. Our God did not stay in the Garden of Eden. He does not stay on a mountaintop, but he actually journeys. So even after the, his people are disobedient, God provided provision. He slaughtered the lamb to provide them better clothing, clothing than fig leaves. He continued to provide a means of grace throughout our um, Old Testament and into the story of Christ. And so we see that. Ours is a God that journeys and always provides opportunity. As much as we try to run and trust in our own power, this God still calls us back. Um, so just kind of to, to shoehorn us into uh, the Christmas season, and this is the movement of Ad- Advent and then the culmination into the story of Christmas. And we were supposed to go through this in points, but Sorry. we have <laughs> No, no, you're great. This is great. This is this is more fun than anything that would ever be planned because um, I'm about to derail us anyway. Okay. Um, back to the build off what you were saying there. So God is a God of justice and mercy, and there's a question that people may ask. They say, well, why didn't you just let him be in the garden? Well, one of the things is, is God created people in his own image, which means they're capable of thinking. It means they're capable of having will. And will is a really big deal. You know, something like a rock really doesn't have will. Human beings, we have will. And once the human will was exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, you really can't undo that. God had basically two choices. He could bring justice in a way, knowing that reality has changed. If if God comes to this situation, he really has, he can do the best he can and try to have justice with them afterwards. And again, he wants to bless them. And he, even to Amanda's point, things with you know, giving you better clothes and even helping them set up a system for how they're going to live with all this. Or God can really uncreate them. If God was to hit the reset button with, with Adam and Eve and take away the knowledge of good and evil, he would be eradicating their real. They would no longer be created in the image of God. So God is left with this choice where he can be the God who gives life. And even as things make mistake, he can work to bless them. Or God can be the God who says, I give life, but eh, I don't really give life because I'll just take it away if it doesn't do what I want to be. This is be something which is a bit um, tyrannical, which that's not the nature of God. God tries his best and his best is far better than anything we can. But even as people screw things up, God is the one who truly knows what good is. It is the ultimate good which God is able to bring. It is the best. And God comes and he works with people 
And even if people, they don't do what God has planned for them, what he's called to them to do, God still is willing to work with them. Is that, is that a fair yeah. take on that? No, I think so. Definitely. All right. Well, we will get to this next point now. Um, <laughs> So I know there are a lot of people who say there's no such thing as good and evil. I've heard a lot of people say this. Um, it was a very trendy thing to say back when I was in like high school. However, in my experience, I have not actually met anyone who actually lives as if there's not good and evil. They may say there's no good or evil, but they still have a belief system in their life. And if they see something which is against their belief system, they're going to act out against it. Um, one of the, the common manifestations of this problem we have in our world is the term hate. And it's usually a word that's not conjugated. People just say, oh, that's hate, 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 hate. Um, the term hate has shifted away from what hatred's true meaning is. And the term has now really become the secular world's attempt to deal with evil and to discuss evil. Now, of course, the same modern ideology replacing evil with the language of hate has really failed to be able to do this because it can't settle on what is actually bad. It wants to let certain things slide. It wants to enforce things. It, it can't have a cohesive decision about this. So whenever you hear things like hate guidelines and even some of the YouTube and Facebook guidelines, they're really sort of <laughs> loose. Um, they basically have no solid foundation at all. It's just, it's terrible. But there is this need where as a species... We have to have something telling us good and evil. And even if we say we don't need that, you still do. And, and people will find something to fill that void. There was this whole mentality. It was real trendy. They say, oh, just teach children to, to come up and teach them to be open-minded. And when they get adults, they'll decide for themselves what is good and bad. First off, that's actually not a very open-minded thing. It's branded as open-minded, but it's actually pretty closed-minded. When you reject everything, you're not actually being open-minded. You actually have to accept a few premises to even be able to work in the world. And the people who claim this stuff, they do accept premises. They, they're kind of lying about that. Um, but also, that's, that does such a disservice to children. That would be like God throwing Adam and Eve out of the garden and saying, no clothes for you. Come back here. I'm throwing you right in the smart weeds, which are something which is terrible here in Tennessee. We're throwing you in them in the briar patches, those thorn trees that'll get some poison in you. Just go in there with no clothes. It would be terribly unmerciful. And that's what people are doing when they, they try to do away with any sort of belief system. But here's the thing. I'm not here just to beat up on, on people who have said this because I want them to come into the church. They, I want to, to bring people in and, and get people to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want people to come to, to something where they can encounter holiness. But as a species, we've got to know the basics of good and evil. And let me have this really quick, and I know I've gone for a little bit while now, this real quick example. So with our physical bodies, we have something telling us good and bad. For instance, if you go to the kitchen and you cook yourself breakfast and say you're cooking bacon in a skillet, you know not to go over there and eat the hot skillet. You take the bacon off the skillet and you let it cool down and then you eat it. If you pick up the hot skillet and take a big bite out of it first, it's probably going to burn your hands and it's probably going to burn your mouth pretty bad. You have nerves telling you, do not eat the hot skillet. It is not good. But from a deeper standpoint, when we interact with things in a world that are moral issues, our conscience is the thing which tells us good from evil. However, our conscience is not something which naturally derives good and evil from the world, the same way that our nerves may tell us what is good and bad for our body. You see, one of the things, and Amanda's already alluded to this, a lot of the sins that people have, in fact, when you look at sins, this is a general characteristic of sin. It's something which actually is not healthy. A lot of the things that people participate in, a lot of our temptations, they're things which are unhealthy to our body. 
There are a lot of things which are unhealthy to even the propagation of the species. So if anyone makes this evolution-based argument that, oh, morality is just something which is good so that we can evolve, not true at all because um, a lot of the things which would help the species develop would actually be immoral to do. A lot of things like eugenics and things like that, totally evil. And even things that um, just, you know, you, you want to propagate the species, kill off your neighbor and their family so your, your line can live. You know, these are things which are immoral. Morality is oftentimes in a lot of tension with what is best for, for the people as a whole and as compared to you as an individual. Anthony. Um, back to what you were saying. I feel like to a lot of them that are wanting to change everything, uh, not to name any specific group, but the ones who are wanting to change everything, they consider those older, more conservative values to be uh, just vestiges. They're like, yeah, they got us this far, but they're not actually that good and that we can do a lot better. And that's really, I think, where the biggest mistake is. It's almost, it's really pride. It's this idea that, you know, it worked before, but we don't think it's going to work as well in the future as what we have to offer. Well, one thing before I throw this over to Amanda, I don't think it's even new to modern times. I think people have been doing this for 2,000 years. You look to the time of Jesus, mm-hmm. there are people doing the same thing. People, people will be idolaters, and I think idolatry is not liking baseball too much unless baseball becomes your new source of right and wrong. There are times where you make a player out to be your source of right and wrong. You're like, oh, they did something wrong. Um, now I can go do this. Um, really making an idol means that you get to be the one who sets the rules. And I think that's what Adam and Eve are trying to do in the garden, and they feel shame because they realize they're inequipped for that. Amanda? Well, I think you had mentioned kind of education and rearing children, and there is this, um, to use education as like a continual um kind of example of how to describe it. There, there was a past trend where education was so rigid that if you didn't fit, kind of if you were um, a square peg trying to fit through a, a round hole, you wouldn't fit and you were considered stupid. And so the reaction to that was then, okay, then we, we completely obliterate structure. And they found that when you do that, again, it, children don't learn, um, whether, again, children, teens, even adults, they don't learn. And so there has to be this balance where there's a structure, but there's also freedom to explore and to uh, look at your own interests and your own how um, different intelligence work. And, 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 but you have to, as a teacher, as an educator, as a facilitator, have to provide those resources, provide those structures, those time frames, um, goals, um, scaffolding to help them reach those goals. All that has to happen if you truly want to learn something. And I think that's the fantastic thing, again, about our God, is our God says, love me completely, and love others. And then this God continues to journey with the people and says, okay, that was a little too vague. You're still kind of figuring this out. Let me give you 10 commandments. And then again, he, God journeys with the people and they're like, all right, you're still trying because, you know, we know for sure thou shalt not murder. That's that's a good one to, to follow. Don't kill. But what happens if, you know, your bull gets out and accidentally stabs somebody? Was that murder? Was Who is responsible for how this happens? And that's why then we get to like Leviticus and some other places where the laws given ends up being hundreds and hundreds of laws. And we get to Jesus's time and people have turned to idolatry. They find the identity in the law versus in the God who gave the law. And so Jesus goes back to the beginning and says, love me, love others. And and so there has to be this balance and there has to be this communication, not just with amongst ourselves or within ourselves, but with God. And so kind of going back to our, our a thesis statement that I think we've lost in all this conversation is, is the naughty and nice list something that is based in Christian values? It is if it's based in Christian values. 
If the Naughty or Nice <laughs> list finds its identity, it's both conception and implementation in the life of God, then it's a great tool. If it's only something to be used to keep naughty children quiet, it will ultimately fail because it becomes idolatry. And actually, I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> I think Amanda subbed that up so well, I can add nothing to it. We hope you enjoyed our program. Please like like our videos. Uh, check us out on YouTube. If you'd like to donate, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the longos. And again, if we get some more people donating, we're actually going to make some some items to give to people who are patrons. Um, of course, I make little things like watch straps. I think we're going to try to make some little items for people. But again, we need to, to build that audience and get that going. So again, if you would like to donate, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. And check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and all the many places where you get your podcast. Again, we do want to be a free podcast, but there are some expenses with this. So thank you for that. And with, with that, God love you. Have a blessed day.